Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bible, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we are as we're moving through this book, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here's the key concept for this morning, live to please Jesus now and forever. Live to please Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 is such a massively important chapter. It is filled with deep, rich content. Uh, I encourage you to spend some time in it again this coming week and then move into chapter 6 as we prepare for next week. But as I read chapter 5 over and over again, trying to get my mind around how I will distill these thoughts for you this morning, over time, three words seem to emerge from the text, words that seemed like themes to me that, that hang together throughout this chapter. And those three words are reassurance, reckoning, and reconciliation. Here's how we'll try to put those words together today through chapter 5. Paul shows us that we have a reassurance, if we know Christ as personal Savior, of a life beyond this life. But then he, he reminds us that Part of that experience will be a reckoning, for we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And then he gives us a challenge between now and that time to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, for we are representing Him on this earth. So that's our task this morning, to, to, to weave those themes together. And Paul begins really where he was in chapter 4, and that is talking about the frailty of the life we have now and the glory of the life that's coming. In chapter 4, he used the image of, of, of clay pots or jars of clay for kind of the weak life we have now is reflecting the glory that's coming. In our chapter before us, he uses the image of a tent. So let's read chapter 5, verse 1. This is what he says. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. We'll pause there for a moment. I grew up tent camping. Every summer, we would load all of our gear in the station wagon that we had, and we would go off tent camping all around the northeastern part of the United States and uh, eastern Canada. I remember uh, tent camping trips to Prince Edward Island, to Vermont, 
to the Adirondack Mountains of New York, which any Westerner would call hills, to New Hampshire and some of these other places. And it was always tent camping. The idea, I guess, my parents thought was, listen, if you're not sleeping on an on a air mattress or better yet on the ground, you're not really camping. And so we went tent camping. I remember all about it. I remember the, the smell that the canvas tent makes when it heats up in the sunshine. Yes, we had canvas tents in those days. I remember what it was like to be in the tent in the pouring rain when a stream started to form in the bottom of the tent and your sleeping bag turned into a sponge. I remember laying awake at night hearing the animal noises outside the tent and becoming very aware that the only thing that separated me from whatever it was out there was a piece of cloth. I remember that. It reminds me of a story of a man and his wife and his family were tent camping and uh, they, they woke up with the animal noise outside. The wife listened for a while and, and uh, she said, honey, I think there's something out there. So they both listened. He said, you're right, there's something there. And they huddled together in their sleeping bags and there was out there the sniffing and snorting sounds of some sort of animal. And finally she asked him, well, well what do you think we should do? And his answer was, I'll stay here with the kids while you go scare it away. <laughs> and he said, in that moment, given the expression on her face, it was more dangerous for me inside that tent <laughs> than anything outside could pose. But after all the tenting times we did, summer after summer as I was growing up, you know what my takeaway from all that is? I like my house better. I like electricity, I like my bed, I like the pillow, I like the air conditioning. Even as a young boy, I thought to myself, since we have invented these things, why do we abandon them every summer, <laughs> right? Now Paul is using that imagery of a tent versus a building to make the point that this life we're living now is like tent camping. It is flimsy. It is not intended to last. It's not as solid as you wish it would be. It gives you only minimal protection. But believer in Jesus Christ, you have a home one day. You have a building that you're going to, something solid. When you reach eternity, life will be more secure. Life will be more solid. You'll be more alive than anything you experience in this camping trip called this life. In fact, Jesus has told us that. In John 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And now since he's preparing that place for us, what are we called to do now in the meantime? Well, we are called to live to please him now. Verse 6, go down there. It says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. 
That's what we're meant to do on this camping trip called life. We're meant to live to please the Lord. Why do we please the Lord? Well, we live to please the Lord because He loves us enough to prepare a place for us. He loves us enough to care about the longest part of our existence, and that is the next life. He loves us, and we are to love Him back. And those you love, you seek to please. This is a very basic rule of life. This is not a hard formula, but it is vitally important. What is life about? It is about receiving the love of God and loving Him back. And those you love, you will seek to please. Here's an example. My wife, Sylvia, loves flowers. She loves the bright colors. She loves the wonderful smells. She grows flowers. She arranges them. And so while the season lasts, I seek to cut and bring inside as many flowers as I can from our garden. Because I know that she can't see them all out there. They're not, they're not visible to her. They're not doing her any good out there. And I want her to enjoy those flowers. And when the season is gone, I try to remember to buy flowers. Why? Because it pleases her. It's as simple as that. In the same way, if we love Jesus, we ought to seek to please Him. We ought to please Him now and please Him forever because notice with me, this call to live to please Jesus is progressive. It continues on. Verse 9, So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. Even in eternity, our role will be to seek to please Jesus. Now, there are some people who don't like when pastors talk about eternity. There are some who, who feel that it makes our faith sound out of touch with the real world, or it makes our faith not true to, true to everyday life. And I want to tell you that that kind of thinking is backwards. The real world, the ultimate life, the life that will last is the one that's going to come next. And knowing what was going to come next and what our experience will be will influence what we do here and now. Live to please the one who is waiting for you in eternity. Practice pleasing Him now so that you can abundantly please Him forever. And you might ask, well, how are we going to be able to please Jesus in eternity? I bet you I don't know all the answers to that. I haven't I have in the imagination or the vision to, to imagine that, but probably one aspect of it will be our heavenly worship. One aspect of it will be simply our presence with Him there in glory, having received His love. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross to get us there, and He will be pleased when we are there. But there will, always, there will also be work for us to do in the new heavens and the new earth. It's not idleness that we're going to. Remember, the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal state is a return to the paradise that existed in Eden. And Adam and Eve had work to do there. Paul alludes to the fact that we will be involved in serving the Lord even forever back in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 6, he's taking them to task for bringing one another into the secular courts. And as a part of his objection to that, he says this, Don't you know that you will judge the world and the angels? He's projecting into that eternal state. The word judge there means evaluate like a judge, but it also means govern. 
There will be an aspect of our role that we will help manage forever. Eternity. And we'll want to do that in such a way that we please Him. Live to please Him now and forever. But there's another reason to live to please Him. And that is the second word of the outline because a reckoning is coming. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Judgment is coming. Paul is talking to believers here. He's writing this to Christians. So for those of you who know Christ as personal Savior, you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, in order to understand this rightly, let's go back to the words of Jesus. Because Jesus says this in John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live life. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, Jesus is saying that what's coming is a resurrection and after the resurrection, there's judgment. But, re- but notice Those who already believe in Jesus Christ, he says, you have eternal life. It's not a question. It's not going to be decided later. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior today, you are already living eternal life. You will not be condemned. So for the Christian, this judgment that we're talking about, this judgment seat, is not a judgment regarding where you will spend eternity. You're already living an eternal life. The, the, the quality will change when you, to use Paul's image, move from your tent to your building, but you're living eternally already. Now, the secularists around us reject all this. They, they think that when you die, it's just like a tree that falls in the woods. It just lays there and it rots. But the truth is that the Creator God created human beings in His image. And part of that is that there is an eternal part of us. And so when a believer passes out of this physical life, immediately they're in what we call the intermediate state, a conscious state of blessing before the Lord. But then there's coming a resurrection. And after the resurrection, a judgment. And the judgment is sure. All Christians will face it. We must all appear, he says. But the good news is that Christ is the judge. God the Father and God the Son will be in perfect harmony in the verdict, but Christ will be the judge. We will face Jesus. And this judgment is based on what we do as believers in this life. What does that mean? It means everyday actions have consequence into eternity. It means that nothing is irrelevant if you, in your life. The judgment will be on your actions And they will show the length to which you are truly walking by faith. And those judgments on our actions will illustrate, did we really allow Jesus to change our lives? Did we really submit to Him our thoughts and our actions? And as we build that foundation, one day everything will be exposed. And some will be obviously bad. Other things might look good here and now, but later on when we see the motives will be diminished. But the only reputation that will matter is the reputation we have before Jesus. It will be His verdict and His judgment that will matter because this judgment has a purpose. And it's not to determine the believer's destination, heaven versus hell. No. 
is to determine reward. That's the first aspect of the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment is to determine reward. Paul says you will be, it'll be determined what is due you. No one is due eternal life. That's given by grace through faith. But there will be a divine assessment of the way that we lived. Now, we're not told what the reward will be. But the idea here is that Jesus the judge will review and maybe even reveal the way we lived. We will understand at that moment what is pleasing to Him. Some of it may surprise us. Much of it will not if we read our Bibles. But it will be a time of evaluation and disclosure. And it is coming. Now maybe you are scared by that. Maybe there's a sense of, of concern. It sounds a little maybe even humiliating. But I would remind you this because I take this to heart myself. The one who loves me the most is my judge. The one who sacrificed his life on the cross, he's my judge. But that thought must come with this call. He is watching today. He is watching. So live to please him. Because there's another aspect of this judgment. There's reward, but there's also rebuke. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul has written these words, If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's the day of judgment, the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. He's describing the exact same scene. Before the judgment seat of Christ, the work will be tested. And that which is Gold and precious stones and silver, that is representing that which is valuable, that which is lasting. But the cheap and the fake will be burned up. There's a sense of rebuke there. I don't know what that will look like for believers, but I know that's part of the lesson. It's part of the message. Reward and rebuke, that comes at the reckoning. But there's a third word, and that is reconciliation. We have a ministry in the meantime. And this ministry does please Jesus. It is our ministry of reconciliation. Pick up verse 16. He says, So, given all of this, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Go down to verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. As a consequence of this whole picture of what's going on in this life and what's, going, what's coming for us, Paul says there are some outcomes for the one who is a follower of Jesus Christ. Outcome number one, we view people in a new way. At one point, maybe we never gave eternity a second thought. At one point, we maybe never even looked at other people in light of the fact that they're going to be somewhere forever. Paul says, at one point, I even thought of Jesus in a worldly way. But I don't any longer because I am aware of the fact that eternity is coming. And I recognize that I am not dismissing them as somehow 
not worthy to be cared about. Outcome number two, I even view myself in a new way. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I am made new because of the love that I experience. Outcome number one, I see others differently. Outcome number two, I see myself differently. Outcome number three, I see that I have a new job. And it's described in verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I am to be part of what God is doing on this earth. I am to be part now as a believer of Jesus Christ of the force for good that is calling people to come to the place that I am to know the promise and the hope of Jesus Christ. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And outcome number four, He's given me a new title that goes along with that new job. And that new title is, I am now an ambassador of Christ. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I represent a different kingdom. If you know Christ as personal Savior, you represent a different kingdom. You are here on a mission, and the mission is the same mission that Jesus is on, and that mission is to represent the kingdom of heaven and to clearly proclaim the message, which is be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Jesus is worth representing. And so for this reason, Paul says, we try to persuade men. So how does this all come down? It comes down as a clarifying call for us to recognize what is of vital importance. It is simply not enough to be nice people. It is not enough to be kind people. You must be that, but it's not enough. It's not enough to house the homeless or feed the hungry or provide for the poor. We must do that, but that's not enough. It's not enough to have a reputation of being someone who's caring and considerate and a good citizen. We must be that, but it is not enough. All of this we must do because we are called to be concerned for the lives of the people around us. But I want you to understand that all those things that I just named can be done while still seeing people from a worldly point of view. And that's not the perspective of an ambassador of Jesus Christ. We, like Paul, must see the people around us from an eternal point of view. Because here's the message, the only thing you come into contact with that will last into eternity is people. None of your stuff, none of your things, not your job, not your belongings or possessions, nothing else will last beyond this life except people. People are eternal, and we must represent the message to care for their eternity. Some of them, unfortunately, that we know, every one of us, we know people who are heading for an eternity without Jesus in a place of suffering called hell. We know that to be the case. We must represent heaven to them. Well, how do we do that? Well, I want you to do the nice things. I want you to do the caring things. I want you to do the compassionate things. But I want you all also to do the eternal things. To pray for your family members and loved ones, your, your classmates and your co-workers who don't know Christ as Savior. Pray that God would get a, a hold of their hearts, that God would turn them around. And as you pray, 
Equip yourself to plant the seeds that God will use for an eternal harvest. And what are those seeds? It's not difficult. It is simply being ready to share some of the words from Scripture that tell the message. For instance, Romans 6.23. Memorize that. Write it down and memorize it later. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're ready to share that verse, from that verse, you can explain all that Christ has done in your life and invite someone else to say yes to forgiveness and hope. Or Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace we are saved through faith. All of this is the gift of God. Grace through faith. Those two words, and you'll be able to explain the message of hope through Jesus Christ. And here's my point. When you are praying that God use me to share hope with those around me, use me to share the gospel with people around me, I guarantee you that that is a prayer that God will say yes to. I guarantee you that you'll be in a place upcoming very soon when you'll have a sensitivity to the fact that now is the time for me to ask this person about spiritual things and to talk about what I have in Jesus Christ. I guarantee that because that's what God wants to do, and He wants to do it through us. One man once said, Jesus did not die in order for God to love sinners. He died because God loves sinners. He already loves your family members. He already loves your co-workers, your schoolmates. And the message that must be influential from us is there is hope in Jesus alone. He wants to use us. When we do that, it'll take courage. When we do that, it'll demand diplomacy. After all, we're ambassadors. We must do it bathed in prayer. But we must do it because our task is reconciliation. Our title is ambassador and our motive live to please Jesus and this pleases Jesus let's pray together Lord help us to turn a corner in the way that we think about people help us to learn the lesson from the Apostle Paul and not view the people that we come into contact with from a worldly point of view only but to see the spiritual need that is there And Lord, as we do that, we pray that you give us the courage to speak up about the hope we have, to tell our story and to tell your story to those who are around us. Lord, in that way, we'll be a part of the representational force. We'll be ambassadors, and that's what we want to be for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together. In order to live to please Jesus, we need to sacrifice our own will for the will of the Lord.
In a moment, we're going to go our separate ways. As always, I invite you to know that we have prayer counselors by the organ next to the prayer table. Maybe you're in a point of decision or a point where there's an issue in your life for which you need prayer. They would love to pray with you. Or maybe it is to meet the Savior that we're talking about today. They would love to introduce Him to you. They'll wait as you slip forward in a moment and pray with you. But first, we'll all all pray together. And as we do that, I'm going to ask you this. Is there anyone in your circle of relationships where you have pretty much given up on them spiritually? I urge you not to. Jesus has not given up on them. Pray for them, and God will use you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd forgive us for the times that we we draw the boundaries in too close. We build the walls too high, and we leave people out. Lord, help us not to do that. Help us in this week ahead to see the opportunities to speak a word of witness, to share an element of what we have in our hope in Jesus Christ. And and God, we'll leave the work to you. You're the one who saves. We don't. But we want to share. We want to witness. And we want to be faithful. Help us do that, we pray. For we ask it in your name, praying all of this rejoicing in Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.